So we just finished up the video, the Bible Project Psalms, about an eight or nine minute overview of the structure, the themes, uh, the development of the book of Psalms, especially as seen through five books. Let me ask you the question I asked you to listen for and watch for, or one of the two questions. Do you remember what is book three of the Psalms about? Give me a word, a sentence, a phrase, book three, what was it about? Exile. There's going to be some promise in there for sure. Uh, but I think some of the graphics were a little negative, and definitely there's exile and downfall of the nation of Israel. So you'll find Psalms about their exile in Babylon in book three. It's the low point of the whole Psalter, Psalter meaning the whole book of Psalms, um, all five books together. So let's do a little review of those five books. My lesson really isn't about the five books, but it's worth spending about five minutes on. Uh, the lesson I'd like to teach you is actually one on smaller collections in the book of Psalms. So I'm talking about collections that are three Psalms together in a row, maybe five, maybe 10 or a dozen, and how to look for and find those smaller collections. So our goal is how can we find smaller collections? And then second and finally, what do we do with them? And I'll tell you in advance what we'll learn, and that is, you should read them as a group, at least on an intermediate or an advanced level of studying the Psalms. And I'll talk about what a beginner level is in a few minutes or a little bit later in my talk. So if you're on that intermediate level of studying the Psalms, read those collections together. And one reason, maybe the primary reason, is that they're meant to be read together, like these books are meant to be viewed together. And if you have one psalm, let's say it's the first one in a group of three, and it's lament, with maybe a few verses of praise in there, but most of the psalm is lament or suffering, then that gets counterbalanced by hope, which might appear in the third of the grouping of three psalms. So what's our application if we're suffering? We don't just want to give God sentences in our prayers of suffering and complaint or crying out for him to deliver us. We want elements of praise for who God is mixed in with that. So more on that later. Uh, look to the next page. Little review here of what was talked about in the video. There are five books. Here's a chart that is one way of looking at them. Uh, that third column over notes what the video noted, which is that each of the books ends with a doxology one or more verses in praise to God, and like the video pointed out, they have the same terminology. So definitely intentionality in the structure of the whole psalm, book of Psalms. Uh, another column, we could actually make three or four or five of these columns, but a second and final one is that each book begins with a new author. Uh, book one is David, book two starts with the sons of Korah. We've not come across them before book two. Book three, you can tell, starts with Asaph, We've not had him before Psalm 73. Book four starts with the psalm from Moses. We've not had a psalm from him before Psalm 90. And then book five is really God himself as the final and ultimate author. Next page. As the video pointed out, books one through three have lament psalms predominating. Lament is that older English word. Ryan used it as well for what? What would be some synonyms? Suffering, hurt, pain, 
This might be physical pain, it might be emotional turmoil, it might be spiritual doubt. Often these go together, right? You sometimes don't have one and not the other two. One influences the other two, and they're all present on some level. But as we hit books four, and especially book five, praise predominates, and in fact, the book of Psalms ends with five psalms that are pure praise. No hint of lament, complaint, suffering, disorientation, uh, adversity anywhere in those last five psalms. Bottom half of this page, we can also chart the ups and downs or the peaks and valleys through these five books. Book one, if you read through those psalms, especially the psalms of lament, is really about David. It seems like it's before he is king. In fact, some of the superscriptions make that crystal clear. He's fleeing from Saul. His life is in danger. So hence, a lot of psalms of lament. The nations are mentioned in book one, but only as the object of God's wrath and his punishment. Book two, David is now king. In fact, there's a coronation psalm in book two. However, the wicked still exist, and he still gets threatened. So we'll still have psalms of lament. Interestingly, when the nations appear in book two, it's a whole different slant. They will worship alongside of Israel when the Messianic kingdom comes. So book two of the five books of the Psalter is very missiological. In other words, if you wanted to go to a part of the Bible that said it isn't just Israel, it's all people groups, all languages that come to worship Jesus as Messiah, you'd have a lot of good New Testament passages you'd also have a number of Old Testament passages in Isaiah and here in the Psalms in book two. Book three, you look for that in the video, that is Israel in exile, there is no king. It's the lowest point of the Psalter. Book four starts with this Psalm of Moses, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. As the video pointed out, when in Israel's history was Moses leading the people? Well, the exodus out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, wandering in the wilderness. Did they have a king then? No, they didn't have a king. Well, not a human king. God was their king. So book four comes along in response to book three and says, I know you guys, in some kind of a paraphrase, I know you guys want an earthly king. You're hoping that some descendant of David has survived the exile and can come back, but you don't have to have an earthly king. God himself will be your king as he was in the days of old with Moses. And then finally, book five, uh, the video said the whole Psalter is forward-looking, especially book five, where we have the songs of ascent. Ryan's doing a sermon on that now. Those are songs of longing for Jerusalem and a return, and an anticipated return, and the Lord surrounding his people forever. So here's one takeaway from the five books. They each talk about a different season in the life of Israel in the history of Israel and God's people of which we're a part. There's a mix of suffering, there's the lowest point in book three, there's the highest point in book five. In our individual lives, we'll have seasons like that, seasons that'll reflect any one of these five books. Maybe book five is future to all of us, not present, but in our life, in this life, and in, in, in the life with Christ face to face, we'll go through all five of these. In our family lives, chances are we'll have all five of these as seasons in our family lives, our immediate families. 
And in our church corporate life, we'll go through different seasons of either pain and suffering as we empathize with people who are going through pain uh, or exultant times of rejoicing and praise to God for who he is and what he's done. So each of the books has a different perspective and you'd never want to spend your life only focused on one book to the exclusion of the other four. So next page. Well, actually, let me read. So let's open up to Psalm 90 and then we'll use that as our psalm of focus to work back into this idea of many collections of three or five or 10 psalms and how to find them. So I'll read not all of Psalm 90, but most of it. Remember that Psalm 90 is the first book, sorry, first psalm of book four, which is the book immediately after the low point of the Psalter, the exile in Babylon. Verse one, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. So let's pause there and maybe give a little bit of a paraphrase or a summary. It's almost like Moses is saying, get your eyes off of yourself. In a chemical sense, you're just dust that's gonna go back to the earth. Get your eyes off of the present because God is God of eternity. Uh, move up to verse seven. For we are brought low or we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. Okay, there's our reminder. They're pulling out of book three. They're pulling out of exile. There's still a lot of suffering going on. Continuing some of the topics of book three. Verse nine, for our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Verse 10, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Remember, Moses is writing this. He wrote it long before the exile. He's writing this about the lifespan of a human being. So in essence, he's saying, uh, if in God's sovereign will, you can live as long as 70, uh, which for then would have been a good long life. I remember mortality is a whole lot higher and um, not just infant mortality, but things that could happen in your 20s, 30s, 40s than there are in our world. So Moses is saying, uh, if you're not prematurely ended from our human point of view by disease or, or killed in warfare, um, you'll live out 70 years of life, maybe 80. What's interesting is that the exile was how long? 70 years. They actually came back in three stages from exile. It wasn't one stage in one year. The whole people of Israel came back to Judah, those who wanted to. It was different stages. So you actually have to add another 10 years roughly for that final wave to come back, those who didn't decide to stay. So you see how the person collecting the book of Psalms is using what Moses wrote about an individual life and appropriating it to the life of Israel. And then we wrap it up. Let's look at verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. There we're returning to that idea that this is a lament. They're suffering. They want to return to the land. It's a psalm of lament or disorientation. But what did I say earlier? Psalms are in many collections, 
all the psalms are. There's no such thing as a standalone psalm divorced from the psalms before it and after it. So if you're going through suffering, would Psalm 90 be a good psalm to read? My answer is yes. But it's a yes but answer. Yes, but not the only one. It's in a grouping of three, so read the next two psalms with it because Psalm 92 is a psalm of praise and it's going to counterbalance the lament of Psalm 90. And if you're going through suffering, should you be lamenting, perhaps complaining a little bit, certainly asking God, how long does this last? Of course. Should that be all that you communicate to God? No, by all means, no. So, exposition of Psalm 90. It starts book four. I've already talked about why the new author is introduced. It takes the listener of that psalm or the singer of that song back to the days of Moses. God is our king. We don't have to have a human king right now. Psalm 90 is part of a mini collection. Uh, I've got my references wrong here, so I want you to look at Psalm 90, verse 1. And in Psalm 90, verse 1, you've got the term dwelling place, and it's used of God. You tell me, so I want you to look at the next psalm, which is Psalm 91. You tell me where a dwelling place occurs in Psalm 91. Once you find it, shout out the verse. It's probably a synonym in verse 1. Uh, there is dwelling, he who dwells. Verse 9 is actually what I'm thinking of. So verse 9 actually has that noun, dwelling place. Uh, same word in Hebrew, should be the same word in your English translations, both nouns, but you're right, the, the idea is certainly in verse 1 as well. That noun, dwelling place, which again, Psalm 90, verse 1, Psalm 91, verse 9, only occurs five times in the whole book of Psalms. So it's not a frequent word. So is this evidence that Psalm 91 should be taken with Psalm 90? I'm going to say yes. It's not the only piece of evidence, but that's one reason why these two are joined up together. In fact, the person organizing book four might have been looking at Psalms. He starts with the Psalm from Moses. Why? Take us back to that time in Israel's history. And then he wants to find another Psalm that has God as a dwelling place. God is our dwelling place, not physical walls like the walls of Jerusalem. God himself is where we dwell. He comes across this psalm, so guess what he does? Here is my perfect psalm. I'm going to buddy it up with Psalm 90 and start a mini collection. Here's one of the links between these two psalms. So let's do another link. Psalm 90 verse 14 has two words, mourning, as in sun comes up mourning, not sadness, and steadfast love. Look at Psalm 92 we just looked at Psalm 91. Let's look ahead two psalms to the future to look at Psalm 92 and tell me what verse has both of those words in it. Morning, as in sunrise, and steadfast love. Thanks, Michael. Verse 2. Is that coincidence? Is that random? I'm going to say certainly not. Now, if, if half the psalms in the book of Psalms had morning and steadfast love, well, then you'd say, well, okay. They're, they're next to each other all over the place, Ron. You can't really say this is intentional. But like that dwelling place, mourning and steadfast love in the same verse don't occur all that much. Again, it's something that's intentional. Uh, we have making us glad that occurs again in Psalm 92, 
And then in Psalm 90, verse 17, the, we have the work of our hands. In Psalm 92, it's the work of your hands. So again, you've got this great counterbalance. Psalm 90 talks about we, we need to rebuild. God, help us strengthen our hands to rebuild. Psalm 92 says, God, it's your hands that truly make things. We don't make things in our own power, in, a, in our own wisdom. Uh, third part, Psalm 92, which ends the mini-collection, is the only psalm dedicated to the Sabbath. So if you look at Psalm 92, the superscription, which means the small point-sized title under the heading of Psalm 92, says, a song for the Sabbath day. Only psalm in the Psalter dedicated to the Sabbath. That's going to go hand-in-hand with the fact that 92 is a praise psalm meant to finish up that grouping of three. The first was lament, the last is praise. When you think of the Sabbath, what do you think of? Maybe you think of no work. A lot of people think of that when they think of the Sabbath. Lack of work, absence of work, no labor. And that's kind of halfway there to what the Sabbath means. Uh, When God stopped creating, did God do nothing? Did he take a nap, so to speak? No, he rejoiced. There was a celebration that his creation was very good. To the Jews and the Israelites, what did Sabbath mean to them? It didn't mean taking a nap, so to speak. I don't have to work, so what's the Sabbath? I'm going to take a nap. It was the absence of work in terms of the absence of the work caused by the curse. Laboring in the field, cutting up the earth to try to grow crops. But there was an activity, not an inactivity. And the activity was celebration of God and praise for who he is and meditation on his word. That's the Sabbath. The Sabbath is teaching, meditation, celebration. So a great heading for a psalm dedicated to those ideas. The only psalm in the whole Psalter that starts with the word good. It's actually the first word in Hebrew. In English, you might have, it is good, So in English you say, well, good's not the first word. Well, let me tell you, in Hebrew it's good it is to give thanks to the Lord. So again, a bunch of pieces of evidence that Psalm 90 is lament, request, calling out for God, save us from exile, along with that reminder that you are our king, you always have been, always will be. Psalm 92, a praise psalm, take them together, along with the middle one. Here's what one commentator said about Psalm 92. Psalm 92 is a prayer of thanksgiving that focuses on God's vanquishing of enemies and on God's provision of a safe place for God's people to worship. And the psalm ends with the description of life without war lived in God's care. Next page. Uh, Next section we'll see, or the next point, as we look at this idea of collections, is that Psalm 93 starts a new collection, or what I'm calling a mini-collection, because the whole book is a collection, but that could be 20 or 30 or 40 psalms in book 2 or book 4 of the Psalter. This is a smaller collection. When you look at Psalm 93, and we won't read it, but you're not going to see any overlap, any repetition, to use Ryan's term, with the first three. We saw a few examples of that when I asked you to look for things like dwelling place or mourning and steadfast love. Psalm 93 starts with these words, the Lord reigns. 
We'll look in a few minutes at the collection that Psalm 93 starts. So let's put that on hold for now. To wrap this up, Psalm 90 is part of a mini collection. And here I've given each psalm a little bit of a summary. Psalm 90, I've said this before, lament and request. Psalm 91 responds with the promise of deliverance. Psalm 92 gives thanks for the Lord's intervention. Read them together. So maybe an example would be, I was trying to think of one this morning and I thought of the book of Job. So let's say you're suffering. You say, man, I'm suffering. Who in the Bible suffered so that I can see what he or she said and repeat some of their words after them to use some biblical prayers? Oh, Job. It's a whole big, long book written about him. So then you go to the book of Job and you find where Job starts his speeches. That's going to be chapter three. And you say, well, here I am. Here's my prayer. What does Job say to God when he's suffering? And you know what chapter three starts with? To paraphrase it, Job curses the day he was born, which could be an indirect, I think probably not indirect, critique of God himself. So should you pray what Job prayed in Job chapter 3? Yes and no. I think many of Job's things can be prayed by you, but you wouldn't want to do it indiscriminately. And one of the reasons is that when God comes in at the end of the book, God says that at least some of what Job said is, quote, words without knowledge. So if at least some of what Job said was wrong, you don't want to randomly start praying what Job prayed. Does that make sense? So here's the point I'm trying to make. You wouldn't focus on Job chapter 3. You could read that and maybe pull some phrases out of that for your prayer. But you've got to say to yourself, this is a whole book. This is not a book of one chapter, chapter three. This is a book where God speaks in chapter 38. Shouldn't I use some of that in my prayer? This is a book in which Job responds to God in chapter 42 after God speaks to him. Shouldn't I look there? Because Job might be saying something different than he said in chapter three. This is a book where Job says something to his wife in chapter two, which is good to pull from. And this is a book where Elihu comes in after the three friends. We know they're not really that great of of friends, right? But a fourth guy comes in named Elihu in chapter 32, and he might say something that contributes to our prayer life as well. Now, that's all too much, what I just gave you, right? When you're suffering intensely, you don't say, "I'm, I'm ready for a break of two hours to pull out the concordance and the software and do my study. You're in extreme pain. But at least you could remember this. I'm not just going to look at Job chapter 3. I'm going to look at the end of the book of Job. At least I can remember that much. God speaks at the end. Job responds to what God speaks. That has to come alongside of Job chapter 3. I can complain to God. I can be honest with him. I can question him. I can cry out to him. How long is this going to last? But that can't be all that I do. There has to be more to that, and there is. So Job is like a big picture of what three psalms is or what the five books are. Again, you wouldn't look only at book one, lament. You'd counterbalance that with book five, the forward-looking praise part of the Psalter. So, uh, final page or final two pages. Let's look at this idea of mini collections. Now, here's why I say that's an intermediate-advanced level of looking at the Psalms. If you've never read through all 150 Psalms, you need to put this aside. You need to read the 150 Psalms. 
it wouldn't be that bad to try to do it in one sitting. However, with most of us in our culture and our hectic lifestyle, we'll start skim reading at, you know, like Psalm 15. And it might be close to worth less if we're skim reading and not getting anything out of it, just to say, I finished all 150. So better to come up with some system, Trent will give you one in his talk, for working through all of the Psalms. And there's good reason to actually skip around when you're on that beginning level. Make sure you've read all through all 150 multiple times. Get used to what Ryan talked about, which is the kinds of Psalms. So read enough, just standalone Psalms by themselves to say, this is a lament. And wow, I've read dozens of laments and I've come to learn that each one has at least one or two verses of praise in it. Isn't that interesting? Lament is never pure lament. Even in the same psalm, there's praise. There's never lament without praise. There is praise without lament. Wow. Uh, Read enough so that you can say, I am in a thanksgiving psalm. This is a psalm thanking God for what he's done. This is a psalm that focuses on God's actions in history. God pulled somebody out of the pit, an individual, or he delivered Israel, a nation. They're thanking God for his action. Or I'm in a a hymn. This isn't so much what God has acted on or a person or people group he has acted on behalf of or for. This extols God's attributes. A hymn says this is who God is. He's holy. He's eternal. He's all-powerful. Maybe you won't know all eight of those categories Ryan went through. Maybe you'll just hit two or three or four, but when you get comfortable with two or three or four, now you're ready for that intermediate level where if you decide you're going to study Psalm, I can make up a number, 37, what I'm saying is look at Psalm 38 and look at Psalm 36. Look for links and come up with your collection and then read the collection. So like Ryan said, you don't read individual verses by themselves, the fortune cookie method. You're not going to go wrong doing that, just like you're not going to go wrong looking at a proverb pulled out of a chapter in the book of Proverbs. But it's better to read the whole psalm. Why? Because it may be lament for 10 verses and praise for three verses, and that three verses to end of the psalm is extremely important. So you want to read a whole psalm as a unit. Same applies to the books, It'd be great to read all of book one together. And same applies to many collections. Read three psalms together. Why? They'll counterbalance different ideas. And you need that fuller experience of God and his attributes, not a focus on one part of life which could be suffering. So how do we identify many collections? Three ways I'll give you. Uh, The first is really obvious, and that is to use superscriptions. Again, smaller pointed text, under the number of the psalm above verse 1. So, for instance, here are two examples. There are psalms of the sons of Korah. When you look at the superscription, there is your mini collection. Piece of cake. Now, when you look at them, there will be development and there will be words that link them together because they're all from the same guild of songwriters. But you don't even have to put much work into it. You know your collection because of the superscription or the songs of ascent the ones we're in the middle of now as a church. Collection of 15 psalms. Look at the superscription. You've got your collection within the book. So let's get a little bit harder. What if we don't have that as a guide? 
Well, you can use words as a link. We've done that a little bit already. Let's do one or two more test cases. So look at Psalm 112, turn there. This is where I think it's actually good to have a hard copy Bible, you know, like old school Bible, and not a tablet or a cell phone. I know you can swipe back and forth, but it helps when you can, you know, put your finger in one and turn the page and just almost visually with your eyes be looking at two or three pages uh, in an easier way than swiping back and forth. So look at Psalm 112. Look at the first and the last verses, especially the first one of Psalm 112. And all I want you to do is look at that first and last verse. Not read through the whole psalm. Now look at Psalm 111, which is in front of it, and Psalm 113, which is after it. Are there any similarities? And when you're looking at 111 and 113, I also want you to only look at the first and last verse. Yes, of course the answer is yes. I'm not going to ask you other similarities and there are not going to be any. So I'm really asking you, what is the similarity? Psalm 112 starts with praise the Lord. Psalm 111 starts with praise the Lord. Actually ends with his praise endures forever. Psalm 113 starts and ends with praise the Lord. Does Psalm 114 have that? Yes or no? No, it doesn't. Does Psalm 110 have that? Yes or no? No, it doesn't. So at least at first glance, we might want to put a few more minutes into it, but at least at first glance, it seems like Psalms 111, 112, and 113 are a mini collection, and they are. Those three Psalms go together. Uh, Turn now to Psalm 15. So go way back to the beginning of the Psalter. Psalm 15. This is why you can't skim read. You've got to read slowly. Then when you read the next psalm after it, you're looking for links. In Psalm 15 at the end, the last verse, the end of the last verse, which is verse 5, says this. He who does these things will never be moved or never be shaken, depending on your translation. Now I want you to look just at Psalm 16. I guess you're going to have to do a little skim viewing here to find it. But I'm telling you, In Psalm 16, there is some wording of not being moved or shaken. You tell me what verse is it in. Verse 10 has that thought. The wording is more in verse 8. So once again, what's happening here is the psalmist has Psalm 16, and he says, I want to buddy up another psalm with this. I am not going to throw 150 psalms up in the air, let the wind take them, They're spread out 30 feet downwind from me, and whatever the first one is as I walk down, that's number one. The next one, number two. Whatever I pick up, that's the number of the psalm. It's the exact opposite. So this is part of a grouping of psalms about not being shaken or moved, meaning your confidence and your rock is God himself. Psalm 61, you can do on your own. Psalm 61 has rock and refuge. Uh, Here's what you would do. Does Psalm 60 before it or Psalm 62 after it have those words? One of those two does have those words. Third and final way of looking for many collections is not so much looking for words, this is our next page, but concepts or ideas. So we're, we're, we're not looking for repetition here of the same word or phrase. And you'll know this, let me remind you, that we can use synonyms 
to talk about the same idea. So if one psalm has God as king and the next psalm after it has God rules, are those the same word? No. One is the noun king, one is the verb to rule. They're not the same in English, they're not the same in Hebrew. Is it the same idea? Oh, yes. God's kingship. So we would say those are both kingship psalms or royal psalms or enthronement psalms, and they go together. So the third and final thing you're going to look for are, is the same idea expressed using different words. Uh, here's an example for you, Psalm 20 through 24. 20, 21, 23. Five psalms are grouped together. They're all about kingship, and I've given you some verses or phrases from each one of those. Psalm 93, if you remember that, we had that after the collection we looked at briefly, Psalm 90, 91, 92. I said Psalm 93 starts a new collection. If you remember, Psalm 93 started with the Lord reigns. That's part of a collection that goes all the way to Psalm 99. Psalm 99 also starts with the Lord reigns. Let's do a little review here. We've got a collection. The first Psalm starts with the Lord reigns. The last psalm in the collection starts with the Lord reigns. First, last, what is that called? Book ending. And guess what? Every psalm in the middle of those two talks about God as king, God reigning, or God judging. Are those the same words? No. Is it the same idea? Yes. So I guess you've got a mix of repetition, the Lord reigns. It's the same word and this idea of synonyms are the same idea, which helps you form your collection. Here's your last exercise. Look at Psalm 135. So remember, this is gonna be an exercise not in repetition. You're not gonna look for the same word or phrase, but ideas or concepts. I'm going to tell you the collection. It's Psalm 135, 136, and 137. Now, 136 is a real long psalm. 135 is not short. 137 isn't all that short either. So you've got to do some skim reading here. Can't take 15 minutes to read through this at a slow pace. But I want you to see if you can come up with some similarity between these three psalms. As you're looking and thinking, let me read to you a few verses from each one. I'll just select a few verses. Psalm 135 starts with praise. We see that in the first few verses. Um, verse 8, he smote the firstborn of Egypt. Verse 9, he sent signs and wonders into your midst, O Egypt. Psalm 136 starts with praise. Uh, verse 11, he brought Israel out from their midst. Verse 10, he smote the Egyptians in their firstborn. Verse 14, he made Israel pass through the midst of, of the sea. Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept. Even in the verses I just read, there's some similarity. What is it?
Remembering God's deliverance, good. It's a great start. We've got to complete the thought. The Lord will come through. When we talk about God delivering, we're talking about him doing things in history, right? So we might call that a thanksgiving, or at least I did earlier. Not so much a hymn, praising God for who he is, thanking God for what he's done. So God has done something in these three psalms. And that's really the thought that we're at. These three are about Israel's history. They're recounting specific events in the history of Israel and how God has or will, maybe in the case of the third, deliver them out of that time of stress or suffering. Very few Psalms do that. So it may be worth pointing out, most Psalms don't go through a specific event in Israel's history like deliverance out of Egypt or exile in Babylon. They're an individual lamenting his suffering or they're a praise Psalm. So that's what groups these three together. Like Sarah said, God's deliverance, what is implied behind that, we're in history. God's doing something for his people. So to wrap things up, uh, our two ideas are, after you get used to the Psalms and you've read through them a number of times, and you're used to genres or kinds of Psalms, whether you organize them into two or three or eight, your intermediate stages look for collections. What's the second part, or the why part of looking for collections? Because they're put together intentionally that way, and there will be things that counterbalance other things. So the stock example is lament is counterbalanced by praise. Hope 